Hey everybody, this is Carlos Ledo, the host of the MIA All Day Podcast, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free, and there's certain tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and it's so easy to use. Believe me, I am not a technical giant, and this has been a, a fantastic experience for me and my podcast thus far. Not only that, Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and many other platforms. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's got everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So today, go out there, download the free Anchor app, or go to anchor.fm and get started. Hey, it's Carlos Ledo, host of the MILD podcast, doing a special little bonus episode because nobody asked me to do it, but it's uh, it's the Monday after Florida State. I'm sitting in my daughter's, uh, my daughter's school parent pickup line. I thought I'd throw this on here for a couple reasons, because the game is still on my mind, and because there is a teacher here who I have talked mad shit to for years about the Hurricanes. She is a Seminole fan. She's a Seminole graduate. And I would really like to just get this off my chest before she hits me with the tomahawk chop and makes my life miserable for about two minutes before I pull off with my child. So, what are we going to discuss today? We're going to discuss the game. Um, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run through what I think were pivotal moments in the game and just, just talk about it a little bit, okay? Let's have just like a therapy session, right? I am here in my car by myself, um, talking to myself essentially. Nobody knows what the hell I'm doing. Maybe I hope they think I'm talking on Bluetooth, uh, making an important call, talking to someone important because I'm animated, or they just think I'm crazy. But either way, you and I, the listeners out there, all 15 of you, are going to go through a therapy session together and we're going to get through this Florida State PTSD, all right? All right, so let's talk about three turnovers in the first quarter. Um, you know, second week in a row, the Hurricanes come out and have three turnovers in the first half. This one was three turnovers in the first quarter. Um... First interception down the field by TVD. He didn't step into it. Had Keyshawn Smith open, underthrew it, and the safety was able, able to come over and make the pick. Um, just unfortunate, I think, early in the game, TVD was feeling the pressure. You know, Jermaine Johnson was really getting in his face. Keir Thomas is getting in his face. 91 was up in there uh, down the middle, creating pressure and breaking down the pocket. I, I think the Hurricanes had a really tough, really tough time early on, especially handling Florida State's pass rush. But if you listen to my podcast last week on Friday, told you they were going to have to handle that emotion. Florida State was going to come out and throw haymakers. They were going to come out on fire. They were going to come out emotional. And they were going to come out giving them everything they had. And the Hurricanes had to weather the storm. Well, early on, they took their punches. They didn't counterpunch until later in the half. But they did weather the storm and got back into it later on. The biggest problem was those three turnovers in the first quarter. Um, the second interception, it looked like Harley let up a little bit because he saw contact coming and allowed the DB to get in there and, and try and take the ball away, which he ended up doing. If he goes in there aggressively, uses his body to shield the ball, and either comes down with a catch or creates an incompletion, you know, the Hurricanes aren't giving a short field to Florida State where they take it at the 12-yard line and get a quick score. Um, the other thing about that is picking up that fumble at the 12-yard line and giving up a touchdown immediately after is just deflating. I mean, the Hurricanes settled down after that and only gave up field goals the rest of the half um, shutting down Florida State drives. I mean, they needed to hold there and hold them to a field goal so momentum wouldn't swing so aggressively. And again, I said that in my podcast on Friday. Um, you know, they needed to avoid huge momentum swings 
not giving Florida State the upper hand. They were going to be riding emotion anyway. Do not give them an even bigger wave of emotion through turnovers, and that's exactly what they did. Um, that fumble, uh, Jermaine Johnson was the one that created it by hammering Tyler Van Dyke's arm. If you look at the replay, you see uh, Jared Williams expecting help on a chip from uh, Jalen Knighton, and Jalen Knighton whiffs completely and misses Jermaine Johnson, and he's just free to go around Jared Williams. Uh, Williams set himself up to be able to allow Knighton's protection uh, or chip on uh, Jermaine Johnson, and once that whiffed, it was over. There was no way Tyler Van Dyke was going to be able to get that ball off. Uh, so then what happens? You know, two field goals, the Canes are down 20 to nothing, get a touchdown before the end of the half, and it's 20 to 7. The Canes go on a 28 to nothing run to get up 28 to 20 in the fourth quarter. You're feeling good. You're feeling like they've seized control of the game. You feel like this is what you expected them to do. You feel like this is what they were capable of doing against Florida State. This is what I thought they should do. Because honestly, if you changed helmets and put a different team's helmet on there, if it wasn't Florida State, I thought the Canes could have won by two or three touchdowns. Um, but knowing that it was Florida State, knowing the emotion in the game, knowing it was in Tallahassee, knowing these guys were, were going to be pissed off because of last year's result, I thought it would be a one-score Canes win. But, you know, unfortunately it didn't turn out that way. So after that, this is the thing that not enough people were talking about, which to me was pivotal in the game. You immediately give up a seven-minute drive to Florida State in which you give up a field goal. You can't get them off the field after you've dominated them in the entire second half. Their three possessions before that were punt, fumble, punt, and you dominated the half. You've been on the sideline as a defense, resting. Your offense is kicking their ass. You needed to get a stop there. Not give up a seven-minute drive and give up three points where your offense gets it back and basically no man's land with 4.43 left. Now, offensively, I think the Hurricanes went a little too conservative with the quick passing game, trying to just run out the clock and uh, maybe just try and squeeze by and pick up a first down. They should have continued to be aggressive and push the ball downfield and keep putting the pressure on Florida State. You've been dominating the whole half. Don't stop your momentum. Don't slam the brakes on and let them back into the game or put yourself in a position where you're now facing fourth and short or third, even third and short, third and one. I mean, at that point, you got to be more aggressive than that. You're third and, third and two, third and three, whatever it was, the two-yard two pass to Mallory, and then you're facing fourth and a long one. Now, here's the other big decision. Fourth and one, the punt. A lot of people are saying that Manny Diaz should have gone for it. It was fourth and one at the Hurricanes 46, and, they ended, and I'm getting the tomahawk chop from the teacher uh, as she saw me from the parking lot. I couldn't even escape it, fellas. Ladies and gentlemen, I could not escape the tomahawk chop. She is hitting me with it from the parking lot, and is very aggressive with it and very happy. She's taken four years of my shit, and she is letting it all loose in one-arm motion. Damn her. Well, anyway, uh, luckily she's my wife's friend, so it's, it's not too serious. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, fourth and one from the four, your own 46, your defense has been playing well all half. I mean, I understand it. I, I, I get why they didn't go for it. I think the safer play was to pin them deep, and make Florida State drive the length of the field to score a touchdown. Now, what ended up happening here is, once they punted, Henley, Headley hit a great punt, and there was uh, the coverage team was getting down there, but they were faked out by they were faked out by the Florida State returner, which made them slow up and let the ball bounce behind him, and they didn't down it within the one. They still had a chance, couldn't get there, couldn't get it down at the one. If the Canes down that ball at the one or even inside the five. 
you know, that's it's a different ball game. Maybe, but you know what? Based on the next play, maybe it doesn't make a difference uh, because Florida State came out first play and throw a 59-yard pass to a receiver who had caught seven, well, actually a running back who had caught seven balls all year, seven balls for 112 yards. He basically he had half of his production of the season in one catch on this one. Um, you know, Cam Kitchens was there. Turned his body sideways. He allowed him. To, he allowed the receiver to get even with him, with his body sideways, and then just could not recover and get back in coverage to get stopped. Um, that was a huge play. Again, that that to me is just as important, if not more important, than that fourth and fourteen, because if you get an incompletion there, you know you're 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 forcing Florida State to drive that length of the field uh, and earn it. But you know, giving up that quick long play definitely did not help. So then we go to the fourth and fourteen. You know, the, the play that may have cost Manny Diaz his job. Um, I've seen it from different angles. I've seen the coverage. Florida State lined up in a three-by-one, meaning they had trips, three receivers to the wide side of the field, and they had one receiver to the short side of the field. The Hurricanes were playing three down linemen. They had Cam, uh, they had uh, um, Keontre Smith at linebacker who was spying on, on Jordan Travis, and they had four defensive backs across, about 10, 15 yards deep, and then two safeties over the top. So... The one receiver to the short side of the field runs a deep out. Got that locked up. Uh, inside receiver from the trips runs a post. Got that locked up. Second receiver will wait on him. Third receiver from the outside, post. Locked up. <laughs> or actually, it's a double post and then a square in by parchment. So what we see is it looks like the Hurricanes are supposed to match. Playing, they're playing like a match. It looks like a match zone. In this coverage with two safeties over the top. So what that means is these defensive backs are playing the routes, letting them develop in front of them, and they should match the route as it comes to them, meaning match up and lock on to those routes. For some reason, DJ Ivy and Takori Couch allow free releases inside of their, their, their zone. Do not drop back further to find the routes because there's nothing in front of them. They're just staring at the quarterback, and Parchment comes free on the square in, and Travis hits him, and it's too late by the time Takori Couch recovers, and the safety wasn't able to be in position because he had to play that initial post from the uh, the inside slot receiver, from what we call number three, because it's from the outside in, it's one, two, three. Number three ran a post, and the safety was over the top on So, blown coverage, bad call. You know, I asked Chad Wilson on, on Twitter what he thought, because I respect his opinion as a former Hurricane defensive back, former defensive coordinator uh, at American Heritage, former... Defensive coach, DB's coach at FIU. He said he didn't mind the, the play call, which, you know, I, I sort of agree because they, they were worried about Jordan Travis scrambling and picking up 14 yards. I get the whole spy by Keontre Smith. I get the three down linemen. What he brought up, which I agree with, is they did not collide the receivers. They did not reroute the receivers, meaning they didn't put a hand on them. And it didn't look like they, they didn't communicate in the secondary. Specifically, DJ Ivy and Takori Couch did not communicate those in-breaking routes, they didn't pass them off to each other. They didn't trail those routes. Um, they just sat in their zone facing the quarterback. You know, generally if you're a DB, you're going to turn and run a little bit with that with that play, with that post and that in. You're going to look across the field and see if anything's coming your way. And if nothing's coming across the field, you're staying with it. You're locking up with it, essentially. Um, they didn't do that. Florida State gets a big gain. Now Manny Diaz lets the next big play, 12 seconds run off the clock before he calls a timeout terrible clock management 
Florida State ends up getting a couple chances there at the one instead of uh, Miami allowing them to score immediately and then try and get down the field and get a field goal to either tie or win the game. We get the ball back. We are not aware of the three-second rule. But before that, we don't throw anything down the middle of the field. Florida State is going to give you the middle of the field because they know you're out of timeouts. So what do you need to do? You need to gain as much ground as possible to either get in position for a field goal or throw a Hail Mary. Not from your 25-yard line, but hopefully somewhere around the 40. We do not take shots down the middle of the field. We don't do that until the last play. And then by the time TV tries to spike it, it's too late. Um, so where do we go from here, man? You know, to me, this was the most disappointing loss of the Manny Diaz era. It's not the worst loss by far. We know that the worst loss is FIU. Um, to me, it's the most disappointing loss because you came into this game riding a three-game win streak. You had two wins against, against top 25 opponents. You seem to have found your quarterback of the future. Your offensive line has been playing better. Your defense still sucks, but they were good enough to get you wins. Um, and you piss it away, man. You're playing a rival that's 3-6. and six. You've beaten them four years in a row. You seize momentum after getting punched in the mouth in that first half. You took their best shot, and you countered and got up 28-20. And you could have seized control of the game, and the defense could not make stops on the final two drives when they needed it most. And that has been the theme here at Miami for the last several years. Not making the big stops when you needed them most. And if we go back to the same situation against North Carolina back in 2019. You know, fourth and 17, couldn't make the big stop. Uh, you know, against Oklahoma State last year in the bowl game, couldn't make big stops. And games last year, or the year before, in 19, like Virginia Tech, you blew you blew the game essentially in the beginning, throwing three quick interceptions, got down 21 nothing, fought back, and then couldn't make big stops at the end to stop and get the win. And it's just been a theme here that the defense has not been reliable enough since Manny Diaz took over as a head coach. Um, they were previously, I believe. Um, you couldn't rely on this defense to make the stops when they needed the most. You can be a bad defense. You can give up yardage and give up points. But if you're the type of defense that hangs your hat, on stopping teams when it counts most, on making crucial, critical stops, on making the plays when they need your team needs it most, you need to do that. I mean, you can be bad on defense, but if you make those kinds of stops, your team's going to be successful because at the end of the day, it only matters that you win. It doesn't matter what you win by, um, to me. So in today's era of college football, you're going to give up points, you're going to give up yards for the most part, unless you're Georgia um, or Alabama's defense over the last few years or Clemson. You're going to give up yards, you're going to give up points, but if you can make timely stops, you're going to be successful if your offense is good. No, they couldn't do it, man. Uh, they couldn't finish a job, and that's why it's highly disappointing to me, aside from the fact that it's Florida State and it pisses me off whenever we lose to them. But it's the most disappointing loss in the Manny Diaz era to me because of the circumstances that surrounded it. They had this positive momentum going forward. They were riding the wave. They still had an outside shot at getting to the ACC title game. Had everything in front of you, and you come out and you commit 14 penalties for 105 yards. Now, talking about penalties, that first series that Florida State had on offense where they scored a touchdown, the Hurricanes committed five penalties on that series, and it ended up being for 25 yards. It was only 25 yards because a couple of them were half the distance to the goal there at the end. But they had a set. Florida State's drive was only 78 yards. 78 yards. The Hurricanes gave them a third of their yardage on penalties. That allowed them to score the first touchdown. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Um, I mean, the, the clock management at the end was terrible. The, you know, the, the lack of awareness on defense here in the coverage. I mean, it just points to 
it, it's all not good enough. And I'm never going to be the guy that calls for somebody's job. I'm not going to ask people to fire. I'm not going to say, fire Manny Diaz. I'm not going to go to the administration. I'm not going to yell and say they need to fire him. Um, you know, that's not, there's plenty of people, there's enough people doing that, you know, and that's good. That's everybody, everybody has their, their opinion and everybody has a right to do that. And I totally understand people that do it. That's just not my thing. I don't mess with other people's money. That's just not my thing. I don't wish for people to lose their jobs. I just don't do that. That's just not me. That's not me. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's not what I do. Um, but at the end of the day, I can say that the job that Manny Diaz has done thus far is not good enough. Um, I thought had he continued on an upswing the rest of the season, won the rest of the games, and pulled off a bowl win, even if he didn't make it to the ACC title game, I thought this program was going to be trending in a positive direction. But if you cannot seize the moment and seize the opportunities in front of you and get your team ready to play in a rivalry game and, and have your defense, which is your bread and butter, come up big when you need it to, then there's a problem. Um, you know, we've seen the bigger problem over time anyway. It's, we've, we've had issues coming off bye weeks, haven't been prepared in games, or we've had long layoffs. Um, a lot of mutiny this year, defections from the team, people hitting the transfer portal, although that's, to me, it's a little bit of addition by subtraction. Some of those guys weren't playing, and we, we needed those attitudes gone, but it's still not good. And uh, so what do we do from here? What does it look like moving forward? Well, I believe that if Manny wins the next two games, if he finishes 7-5, and five, and definitely if he wins the bowl game as well, if he finishes on a three-game win streak, I don't think there's any way they can fire him. I don't think they fire him. I think there is a way they can fire him, but I don't believe they fire him. That's my opinion. I have zero insight on this kind of stuff. I am not an insider. I have no information. Uh, I, although I do a podcast with Manny, Manny Navarro, he doesn't tell me shit. Um, we just talk normally. I vent. I usually call him or text him hot takes. Uh, I do the same thing with him and Kelvin. I'm just constantly blasting them with hot takes throughout the weekend during the game. But I get zero information, so I have no sources. But I think if he finishes 7-5, and five, you know, wins these last two regular season games, he comes back and they give him another shot. Now, I think the argument for firing him anyway, regardless of the finish, is that if you're going to make a change and there's two guys that you have targeted or zeroed in on, which in my mind should be Mario Cristobal and Lane Kiffin, you're going to need to go after those guys now. Start putting those feelers out now immediately and figuring out whether these guys have any interest in the job because they're going to get extensions. I'm pretty certain they're going to get extensions or they're going to get overtures from other programs. Um, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Me, if I'm the University of Miami, I, uh, you know, a lot of colleges and universities now, their athletic departments depend on search firms. They'll pay search firms money to go out there and find them a coach, which I really don't understand why they're using a search firm, but it's really based on relationships with agents, you know, that whole thing. So rather than paying a search firm, which really honestly has no clue about football anyway hire alonzo highsmith as a consultant and have him conduct your coaching search on the back end have him vet these coaches from a football perspective right have them get get into the conversation with them about what their plans for the program are what their vision is what what the what they see themselves doing here in miami um and then let the board and rudy fernandez work out the details of a deal in principle and once the season's over you know you pull the trigger on it uh, or if you have to do it sooner you do it sooner but you need to get something done soon if you want to get crystal ball or kiffin because those two guys are going to get major extensions and the buyout is going to go up in that 10 to 15 million dollar range and then it's going to be just you know not even not even worth it um it's i mean it's worth it but i don't think they're going to go after somebody with that high of a buyout 
Um, then you get into second tier candidates, and you know at that point it's well, are those guys that much better? Will they turn the program around immediately? Um, you know, for me, I, I put something out on Twitter. Somebody asked, actually, it was Will Mansell, as a matter of fact. So I got cut off there. Uh, I was saying that Will Mansell put out a tweet asking for candidates. So I gave him my top tier, which is Mario and Lane Kiffin, and then uh, my secondary tier that, that had a bunch of candidates in there. Um, it was Josh Heupel, Tom Herman, Sonny Dykes, Gus Malzahn, Bill Clark from UAB, Billy Napier, Chip Kelly, and Mike Leach. Um, I know Kelvin hates me for saying Mike Leach, but you know he's proving that that air raid is nasty. It could do anything. Uh, it could score points in any conference. He's going to have to find a hell of a defense coordinator. But if he could pirate, if he could pair himself, if the pirate can pair himself with a DC, that's nasty. Maybe Jamie Lake from uh, Washington just got fired. <clears throat> you can have some big things happening. I, and then my tier three is either because they're not ready yet, or they they just uh, have some issues that maybe the university doesn't want to deal with. Dave Aranda, he's in year two at Baylor, had a bad first year, really turned around this year. Baylor's really playing well. His defenses are always great. Uh, Hugh Freeze did some good things at Ole Miss, did some bad things at Ole Miss, personally. Um, Dana Holgerson, who has uh, did some okay things at West Virginia, he's really turned things around at Houston this year, having a hell of a season. I heard he's a bit of an asshole. That's why I'm putting him here. Dana, uh, Mark Stoops, I'm not too sold on him. You know, he's done okay at Kentucky. He's had a couple big wins. You know, biggest win of the season was against the Gators and the depleted LSU team. Um, but he's got a sweetheart deal at Kentucky. I don't know if he's leaving. So though, that's that's my thing. So what are we what are we looking towards? If I'm the University of Miami, I say you know get Alonzo Highsmith involved in the process right now. Hire him as a consultant. Don't use a search firm. Get him to talk to these guys. Vet them out. Gauge the interest of the two guys that you really think can change this program in a monumental way, and Lane Kiffin and Mario Cristobal. If they show interest, if one of them says they want to come and they just have to hammer out the deals, you know, if, if part of that deal is firing Blake James, you do it, which I'm sure they're going to do anyway. Um, but if Mario needs assurances, you give him the assurances, you get that deal done in principle, you fire Blake James and Manny Diaz immediately. You have Rudy Fernandez and the Board of Trustees handle the negotiation of the contract, get it signed, and get it done. I mean, the University of Miami has a freaking law school that, you know, normally is in the top 50 in the country. Although it's dipped a little bit. There's plenty of people that can negotiate a damn contract for the university. So we don't need an athletic director necessarily in place to negotiate that contract. There's plenty of smart people and plenty of firms they can reach out to to hammer out the details of a contract. All right? So that's my plan. That's what I would do if I'm the University of Miami. If you really want to make a change, if you want to, if you feel the program needs a shot in the arm, if you think that Manny isn't the leader for this program long term in the future, then, you know, you put those feelers out and see what happens right now. If it's a secondary candidate, I don't, I don't think you just jump the ship, jump the shirt, jump ship right now, uh, and fire Manny until unless he loses one of the next two games. Especially if he loses to Duke. Let me tell you something. I'm nice and I'm, I'm all about. I don't want to mess with a man's money. I don't like firing people. But if he loses to Duke, I'm pulling up in my truck and I'm, I'm moving all this shit out of his house myself. All right. Well, there you go. Bonus episode. Nobody asked for it. I gave it to you anyway. See you guys later in the week when I break down Virginia Tech with much enthusiasm as we are hoping to get above, above 500. Peace.